Hi, church. So good to see you all. So good to be together again on this beautiful Sunday and this opportunity to rejoice in a bit of rain and rejoice in God's provision for that for our land and this time together. And we're continuing our series, Hope in the Dark, and we're focusing in on this season of Advent and this time of coming together in the anticipation and the expectation of Jesus's arrival, the birth of Christ. Um, that we celebrate on Christmas morning. So last week, we talked a bit about um, all of that hope in the dark. We talked about trying to shine a bit of light in that darkness. We talked about what Mary's experience was and how she brought forth this hope, um, even though there was nothing around her that gave her any expectation for such a thing. Um, And now, today, we're going to back up a little bit and then go forward a little bit in our story of Luke as we look specifically at the birth of John the Baptist. Now, just before Mary gets her visit, about three months before Mary gets her visit from the angel Gabriel, Zechariah, who is a priest who's married to Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, who's also of the priestly line of Aaron, Zechariah was in the temple in Jerusalem, and he's a priest, and so he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. While he was there, Gabriel showed up to him too and said, hey, old guy, you and your wife are going to have a son. And Zachariah had a bit of a conversation with Gabriel. He's like, how can I know this is going to happen and everything else? And Gabriel, either not wanting to take any chances with one more old couple that is getting told that they're going to have a son and get anything confused, footnote, see uh, Abraham, Sarah, and that Hagar incident, Um, either because of that or because Gabriel's just having a bad day or he didn't like, you know, the tone of Zachariah's voice, he says to Zachariah, you know what, I'm Gabriel, you're not, I've been sent here by the Lord, you're now not going to speak until the day this happens. So Zachariah leaves the temple, Um, he cannot speak, something's happened to him in that space, he goes home to his wife Elizabeth, again, without the speaking, and they conceive um, John, who will be John the Baptist. And so when Mary and Elizabeth met, and Mary gave that beautiful Magnificat that we studied last week, Elizabeth is just a few months ahead of Mary in her own expectation and waiting and hope. Now, I think a lot about Elizabeth and Zachariah. One, because I just think that the story is fascinating and sort of interesting, and we're going to look at Zachariah's response here in just a moment. But also because it says in the Gospel of Luke, they were old. They were so old. They were also, it says in Luke, righteous. And they just hadn't had any kids. I think a lot of times when we look for things in our own life that haven't come with the expectations and the hope that we wanted, I mean, I'm sure that Elizabeth and Zachariah, according to their culture and their time, you know, got married probably relatively young and thought, great, now let's start to build our beautiful family. Um, something that is seen as a blessing from God. And it hadn't happened. It hadn't happened for a really long time. And maybe there were people who said, oh, I think it's I think it's Zachariah's fault. Or maybe it's Elizabeth's fault. Or maybe they just aren't, you know, right with God. Maybe God is upset with them. Maybe God knows that he'd be terrible parents. Maybe God. And so all of the people probably did what people still do today and tried to assign some sort of reason for why their hopes, their expectations had not been filled as they had so long desired. But Luke tells us here at the very beginning, they're just old. 
They're righteous. They hadn't done anything wrong. They're both of the priestly line, but they hadn't had kids. Says Elizabeth was barren. They just, they just had not had children. And so all of the reasons why they had probably imagined this to never happen or to have not happened yet, and then pretty much had probably given up all hope, given up any anticipation or expectation of happening, all of those reasons were not the reasons. It was just that they were old. Now Elizabeth was barren and they had not had children. So I just want to put that note out there because I think that sometimes when we're in places of deep waiting, longing, anticipation, darkness, we want to ascribe a reason. And I don't think we always need to do that. Sometimes we just need to wait. Waiting is a very prominent theme in the Bible. Um, There are lots of times when we're waiting for God, whereas Um, You know, waiting for God's salvation, waiting for God's rescue, waiting for God's deliverance, waiting for God to avenge your enemies. There's all this different waiting um, times for God. There's there's actually a few different words used for waiting, um, two or three primary used words for for waiting in the Hebrew Bible. Um, Even in the creation story at the very beginning of Genesis, the waters are gathered, it says in our English, but it's actually the waters wait. Um, the word there is wait. It's such a fascinating thought. Why? What are they waiting for? They're waiting for that initiation and that that motion of God. So if the waters have to wait in the Bible, it's likely that we will have to wait too. Um, there are different connotations to these different words for wait and waiting in the Bible. Sometimes we have to wait with an expectation and hope. There's an expectant, hopeful waiting. There's also um, a waiting with anxious longing that you're just you just must have it and you can't have it anymore. And there's also a, a long-lasting, desperate wait in, in the Hebrew. And they're all translated different ways in our Bible with waiting and looking and hoping for. Primarily, the two things that the two words for wait that are used in our Hebrew Bible are often waiting with expectation, with that hope or expectation, and then waiting with that tension of enduring. And I think that Elizabeth and Zechariah are probably quite familiar with those words, those, those Hebrew words for waiting, right? They're, they're, and t- they're quite familiar with what was first a, we will wait with expectation and hope, and now we will wait with attention of enduring and longing. Um, waiting in the Bible is not a passive act. It's not sitting back. And just kind of going, well, you know, someday this will happen. It's, it's often a struggle. It's sometimes that it's fought for, um, a waiting that is the hope that has to be fought for in the face of despair. This is what I think of when I think of Elizabeth and Zechariah. So after Elizabeth and Zechariah are now waiting with anticipation and joy and, um, and the tension of longing, for the birth of their son, Zechariah does this waiting in full silence. No speaking for him. Maybe it was just Elizabeth's turn to talk for a while. I don't know. But Zechariah is now waiting. And after Mary has visited Elizabeth and then she returns home, Elizabeth gives birth to John, her son. And after Elizabeth gives birth, everyone then on the eighth day comes around and they're like, great, what are you going to name this boy? And Elizabeth says, his name is John. In Hebrew, it's Yohanan. His name is Yohanan. And everyone says, but that's not a family name. That's not your husband's name. 
I'm sure, Elizabeth, you've just been talking now for way too long. Too bad, Zechariah. You know, what is his name? They go to Zechariah and say, what is your son's name? And he writes down, because he still cannot speak, his name is John. And at that moment then, his mouth is open. He begins to speak finally now, um, after disobeying that angel and having now this moment, he begins to speak. And as his mouth was opened and his tongue is freed, he begins to speak and he praises God. And then Zechariah, in that praise, the first things that come out of his mouth, he speaks this prophecy. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. Wow. That is some, I mean, had he been writing that for the full <laughs> nine months? He's waiting. What am I going to say when I finally get to speak again? No, I, I, it says he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And he starts to speak. And these words of praise and hope and prophecy come out of his mouth. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we would be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us. Let's just stop right there. Like Zechariah is already foretelling that through John, and Jesus, through Jesus' birth, and now this John who is going to pave the way for this son of David, that we are going to see enemies cast down. It means his prophecy, his hope here, is not unsimilar from Mary's hope, this justice, this push for hope. But you actually understand that Zechariah has moved from waiting to waiting. Because this certainly is not happening right now. Jesus has not even yet been born. And Zechariah is holding his son, who will even foretell this, and certainly is not speaking yet. Zechariah continues on. He says, he has shown mercy. He has shown the mercy promised to his ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor, Abraham, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And then he turns to John and he says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare the ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people for the forgiveness of of their sin, to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation for the people, for the forgiveness of his sins, by the tender mercy of our God, by the dawn from on high, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness. There's this beautiful light and dark theme again in our text, and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day he appeared publicly to Israel. More waiting. More waiting. It feels to me like I kind of want to grab hold of them and say, how do you have such hope when you're going to have to wait so long for any of these things to come to pass? Why do you have hope when you have words, so many different verbs for the word wait, that talk about waiting with tension and longing and, and anticipation and hard fought? painful longing. How do you do this? And I think this is our whole theme of Advent, this whole theme of, of this season in our church calendar as we wait for Christmas, as kids count the days, as, as we go further and further into the dark season time of our year, and maybe even a dark spiritual emotional time for our nation, for the world at large, as we 
are in challenging times. Advent is sitting in the darkness and actively waiting for the kingdom to come. We get to do what our ancestors have done. We get to join them in this anticipated longing and wait. We get to join them in the tension of all that. Advent is waiting with tension between what we see with our eyes in this world. Gosh, that vaccine is a long way off. We're so glad it's here, but it's also just a long way off and we have to wait. Gosh, the darkness feels like it's moving closer, but we have to wait. Advent's waiting with tension between what we see in our eyes with this world and the anticipated rule and reign of the kingdom of God ushered in by Jesus. We wait. We are waiting. We're waiting for this dream to come. We're waiting for this to pass. We're waiting to be together again. We're waiting to be gathered in one place. We're waiting for hope to be realized. We're waiting for it to be here, not far off, not just out of reach, but here. We are waiting, and we're often waiting in the dark. So what do we do when we wait in the dark? How do we do this? Okay, well, close your eyes for a moment and imagine yourself in the dark and having to move forward and having to wait or feeling a little bit lonely, lost, or scared. Not quite sure where that light is and where you're going to find it. What are the things that you would typically do? I would call out, is anybody here? So when you're waiting in the dark, you're waiting with this anticipated longing, let's cry out. Let's cry out to God the way that we hear these beautiful prophetic voices of Mary and Elizabeth and Zachariah and Anna who will be waiting for Jesus to show up in the temple and Simeon. Let's cry out as our ancestors have shown us. Let's wait with anticipated longing and even tension, waiting in the face of despair as they've shown us how to do. And let's cry out as they've shown us how to do. So we're going to wait. We're going to anticipate the light. We're going to cry out. And we're going we're gonna to cry out to God. We're going to remember God's promises. And we're going to look for a friend. Because Mary and Elizabeth found each other. They looked for one other person who also understood hope deferred, who also understood what it meant to be holding on to a crazy miraculous hope in the face of no reasonable reason why you would have that hope in the face of that darkness and despair, in the face of the looming injustices, the daily injustices of the Roman occupation. Find a friend who knows what it is to hope in the dark. Find a friend who knows what it is to long for something that has not come to pass. Find a friend who understands Advent and go find that friend and be with them in the dark. And then light a light. It doesn't have to be the big giant light yet. It can be one small candle, one small reflective light in this world. Do some good. Find some hope. Act some way for just, don't just passively wait, but actively wait. Do something to try to usher in the light for yourself and for someone else. Bring in a bit of light in this world. You see, the birth of Christ is the dream that neither they nor we knew how to dream. 
It's a love coming that's so selfless that no human could possibly imagine it, let alone bring it to pass. It's pure grace, the life of God given for the life of the world. The faithfulness of all the covenant promises that God has that God has been having us wait for and long for coming to pass through this birth of Jesus. So how do we respond with such a remarkable gift? What gift can we possibly offer in return as we prepare? How do we sustain such hope in these dark times? We offer nothing less than our very lives poured out in thanksgiving and praise. We can offer joy, mouths filled with laughter and tongues that shout for joy, that rejoice in these stories, that rejoice in this old couple that is now having this longed-for baby, and not just any baby, but the baby that gets to prepare the way of the Lord. We can rejoice in Elizabeth, in Mary and in Joseph as they look and think, what is this miracle that we have brought in one to be on the throne of David, the Savior of the world? We rejoice in these songs. We will have hearts that hold on to the good, that hold on to the hope, that pursue justice and goodness and righteousness in this world, especially, especially when there is no earthly reason for such hope and joy. That's what makes us Advent people. That's what makes us Christians, that we have hope and joy when there's no earthly reason for it, simply because of who God is and how God is at work in this world. So we will wait. We will wait and endure with that tension and that longing. We will love we will do good, we will cry out, we'll tell the stories, we'll grope about in the dark, we'll find a friend who knows how to hope with us. And we will bright, we will shine a light, we will light a light in the darkness for others and start to spread the light that we so long for. And we'll do it and we'll bring these gifts to Christ our King. These are the gifts we can bring to the newborn King this season. Amen. Okay, Spark will now turn to a time of communion when we remember and celebrate this meal Jesus has with his disciples and continues to have with all of us as we continue to wait and anticipate the time when we will all be together again, together a spark, and together again with Jesus in the kingdom to come. So let us come to the table. For in the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took the bread, blessed, and broke it, giving it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, he took the cup, gave them thanks, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. All are welcome at this table. 